You might help me a little bit with that mic. My voice is not great tonight. All right. <clears throat> Just one verse tonight in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10. I wish I had more voice uh, for such a wonderful text tonight. But may the Lord bless his word tonight and encourage us to be God-pleasers rather than men-pleasers. I've entitled the message, The Preacher's Motive. In our text, Paul is the preacher, but there are many preachers here today in this world. But also, it's not that it's just for the preacher. Uh, This application of this message is for you individually as Christians As you make decisions for your life day to day, do you live under the fear of men or do you live under the fear of God? So when you make your decisions, are you more concerned about what men think you do or are you more concerned with whether or not God approves of what you do? So it's not just effective for the preacher, it is effective for all Christians So let's read the text, uh, do a little bit of grammar stuff to get some clarity, and then we'll uh, try to learn from this text tonight. It is Galatians 1.10. The ESV says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man... I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, if you have your text before you, uh, I want to just give you a couple of things of clarification just from the wording of the text. It's somewhat difficult to translate this, but let me um, try to change a few things to make it uh, more clear. The first phrase in the ESV says, there's a phrase there, seeking the approval, seeking the approval. In Greek, that's just one word. And then the ESV says man three times, but it's men. It's plural all three times. The phrase seeking the approval is the word persuade. It's the word persuade. In the Greek text, we could say persuade. So I would translate it this way. For do I now persuade men? It's very simple, very clear. For do I now persuade men or God? That's the first phrase. So just clarifying, one verb here, persuade. Is Paul attempting to persuade, convince men, or persuade or convince God? The next phrase in the ESV, or am I trying to please man? Or am I trying to please man? We'd word it this way. Or do I seek to please men? Or do I seek to please men? The third phrase, the ESV says, If I were still trying to please man. We'd word it this way. If I still pleased men... If I still pleased men, then I could not be a slave of Christ. I'd be disqualified as a slave of Christ. We'll say more about this in the sermon in a moment. But slave of Christ being the positive and pleasing men being the negative. 
I say that because we see slave as negative. Paul sees it as positive because he has such a great master. So if I was a man pleaser, then I wouldn't be a slave of God. How terrible would that be? I'd much rather be a slave of God than to please men. <clears throat> okay, so maybe that helps a little. The other thing that I want to mention before we get into this is this can be miscommunicated. There are young preachers, they usually are young, and John spoke about elders needing to be a little bit older where they could have some maturity, and I get it, uh, because young preachers, especially young zealous preachers, it's a zeal and passion, which is good if it's channeled in the right way, they have a knack of confronting people in their preaching and telling people like it is. Like in East Texas, we say we're telling people how to cow eat the cabbage. <clears throat> There's a very big difference between preaching and telling men something from pride and arrogance and making them mad and preaching the gospel accurately and being approved by God. There are preachers who will take this text and unrighteously slam a group of people and use this text to justify what they did. That's not what Paul's doing. Paul is a preacher of the gospel, a gospel with compassion, a gospel, you know, let me give you compassion. Paul says, I wish I was cut off in order that you might be converted. He, he has great love for souls. That's different than a prideful, arrogant jerk telling people off in the pulpit. It's radically different. So <clears throat> I just caution you that if you do make people angry in your preaching, if you make people angry in your answers at your workplace, in your family reunions, man, I made everybody mad. Okay, did you make them mad because you're a jerk? Or did you make them mad because you gave the truth out of a sense of love and genuine concern for the gospel to be rightly upheld? Those are different issues. And I can speak from experience from that because I know I erred on the primer. I erred on the sense of in my flesh telling people off, but not necessarily in the spirit given the sense and the meaning of the gospel. So I, I've, I've erred in that, I know. And so I hope as I grow older, the Lord is maturing me not to just make people angry. It's somewhat easy to do, by the way. Especially in public speaking. You can get under people's skin, and it's not real hard. It, it's a lot better if people are angry because the gospel is held up rightly. That's really the aim. We want to make sure God is pleased. All right. <clears throat> Point number one is the fear of man. So I'm working off my phrases the way that I translated them, trying to be a little bit more specific with the Greek. So two phrases here. For do I now persuade men? So that's half. Then jumping to, or do I seek to please men? So is Paul trying to persuade men, or is Paul seeking to please men? That's our first question. These questions have to do with the fear of man. What causes Paul to preach like he preaches? Look, don't miss this. I'm not going to be here forever. I'm going to die or move on someday. 
there's always a motive from the preacher. There's always a motive. You have to have a reason to do what you do. It can be a good or bad motive, but there's something that drives the man. In your life, on your job, something drives you to take your positions and hold them the way you hold them. In your marriage, there's a motive that you hold to this position or that position in your family. There's always something underneath that can't be seen. Now, if the cause or the motive is men, then Paul's message will reflect the motive. How so? Let me just give some observations. Fear of money, fear of people with money, prevents the preacher from preaching on things that offends the people with money. It might hurt his check, so we'll just bypass that. Fear of reputation prevents the preacher from preaching on things that will hurt his rankings. If marriage is a controversial subject, and he knows his preaching is going to make a lot of people upset, he may bypass preaching on marriage to save face. Preachers do this. Fear of men will prevent the preacher from dealing rightly with doctrines that are contrary to the powers that be. If there's a power realm in the church and they're all Arminian, then the preacher may be a closet Calvinist. Because to come out and say that this is what the text says may get him fired. And it's not just that doctrine. It can be any doctrine. Just get the point. The fear of man would curb his tongue. On the phone with his friends, he speaks this theology. But in the pulpit, he speaks another theology because he's pressured. This is an obvious case of the fear of man. Paul didn't have it. Paul didn't have it. It's a great sermon. I don't know how you'd ever find it, but John O'Sims preached it at the True Church Conference many, many years ago. And he preached one verse, Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man is a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord is safe. Think about that verse, and I say this, that the preacher is snared by his desire for people to like him. I know this is shallow, and I know I'm preaching about the office that I hold, but how shallow is it for the preacher to spend his whole life trying to figure out how to get everybody to like him? It will kill you. It will literally kill you, because if you get caught in that, Your whole life is mandated by what you think it will take to get other people to think favorably of you. The preacher is snared by his desire for people to pay him. The preacher is snared by his desire for people to speak well of him. There's at least two types in that vein. There are preachers that literally search social media after Sunday to see what the ratings of approval are for his sermon. 
If people gave him thumbs up, if they said good words, then he's encouraged. If they said negative things, then maybe he's going to reevaluate how he addresses the next week. What a danger to live under such a condemning umbrella. The preacher is snared by his desire for people to approve him. Note, the preacher who trusts the Lord is safe from all of that. He's safe. He's in a whole different category of understanding where he is in his relationship with the Lord. Now, not that we've left Paul, but back to Paul. I do understand what's happening here a little better now. Paul has critics, and I now understand how his critics had a lot of good information to use against him. So what information are the critics of here in Galatia using against Paul? There's this huge issue on circumcision, right? Think about his critics. Over here, Paul has Timothy circumcised because he was doing this ministry to the Jews and to have Timothy uncircumcised in the temple doing ministry was not going to fly. So he had him circumcised. But over here, Titus, he doesn't make get circumcised. Well, Paul's one way one day and he's another way another day. Or <coughs> they misread 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says, I'll be all things to all people. If I need to be under the law, I'll be under the law. If I need to be out from under the law, I'll be out from under the law. If I need to be this, I'll be this. If I need to be this, I'll be this. You see, Paul is a vacillator. He, he's unstable. He's like a double-minded man. He's unstable in all his ways. His critics are using this against him. However, they would say in chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 11, they accused Paul of preaching circumcision when it suited him. His critics focused upon his supposed changes in different groups. Liberty here, restrictions there. But you know what they were unable to see? They were unable to see a little bit further down in 1 Corinthians 9. I do everything I do for the sake of the gospel. So whatever it is that he's vacillating in is not his theology of the gospel. He's just not going to allow these minimal things to distract him from the primary thing. Okay, That's important, that he's not going to allow that. And, but they missed that. They were unable to see his consistency in making sure the gospel stayed primary. <clears throat> so, for do I now persuade men am I trying to cause men to come to a particular point of view course of action am I trying to convince men am I trying to win over men am I still trying to strive to please men well Paul is there Paul is asking his hearers do you think that I'm trying to persuade men now, be cautious with our answer. Oh, good, I'll take another one. The answer is, in one sense, yes. He is trying to persuade men. But in another sense, it's no. I'm not seeking their approval. But don't miss the reality. Paul does seek 
to persuade men, but not persuade them to approve of him. That's the difference. I'll give you a couple of texts. 2 Corinthians 5, 11. In that text, he says, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Paul is a passionate preacher. He does persuade. 2 Corinthians 5, 20. He certainly persuaded men to be reconciled to God. We're ambassadors, yes. God's making his appeal through us. That's what he preaches there. And he says, we implore you. We implore you, be reconciled to God. So, yes, he does seek to persuade. Paul is in the soul-winning business, not in the self-interest business. You remember what he said in 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. Paul says this, But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you. I'm not too concerned with that issue. Or that I'd be judged by any human court. You know, as a matter of fact, Paul says, I don't even judge myself. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not ready, therefore, to be acquitted. Here's where I'm at. It is the Lord who judges me every day. That great fear overrides any human court or any human opinion. I've got to give an account to God. Do you think I'm going to worry about a crowd of 10,000 people's opinion? I have to stand before a thrice holy God and give an account for this message. That, that's what the governing factor is for Paul. <clears throat> now don't miss it and don't put it all on the preacher. That's the governing factor for your life and your job and your daily activities. You, got, you have to give an account for what you do, how you act, the decisions you make. Do you vacillate between opinions? Do you take this position and that position? Do you throw out the gospel to save your reputation? Do you stand firm and be with God and lose a sense of a relational issue at work because you're unwilling to compromise? Or, or do you throw away Christ in order to keep friends? It affects us all. <clears throat> do they honestly think that Paul has changed the gospel in order to produce Gentile converts? Honestly, look at Paul's life. Do you really think that a man that comes in and says, I pray God curse every one of you, is really trying to seek the approval of men? I love Martin Luther more now because I'm reading him in Galatians, but Luther says it this way, quote, We seek not the favor of men by our doctrine. For we teach that all men are wicked by nature and the children of wrath. We condemn man's free will. We condemn his strength, his wisdom, his righteousness, and all religion of man's own devising. And to be short, that there is nothing in us to deserve grace and the forgiveness of sins. But we preach that we obtain this grace by the free mercy of God only 
for Christ's sake. That kind of preaching doesn't win the favor of carnal flesh. So Luther says that's the way they preach. He learned it from the Apostle Paul. (coughs) Going on in the text, the second part, do I seek to please men? Do I seek? Paul is asking, do you think that I devote serious effort? Do you think I'm striving aiming, wishing to somehow gain the approval of men. You honestly think that my gospel preaching rests on the foundation of a man pleaser? Paul's gospel strips man of any merit and leaves faith alone. Paul's like, there's no way you can come to this conclusion. As far as me pleasing men, this is interesting because of the word please. Do you think I seek, aim, strive to please? What does this word please mean? To act in a fawning manner. <laughs> to, to, to be a, read Pilgrim's Progress, to be a flatterer. To somehow use my words to make you like me. To fawn upon you and say all these good things. I think as I say this, preachers' names are coming to mind. They smile a lot, say a lot of positive things, and they build big crowds. And everybody likes them because they say nice things. Paul is not that way. Paul is saying, I am no flatterer. That's not me. No, he is not looking for likes on his Facebook account. He's not looking for thumbs up on his Twitter feed. Nor is he looking on a pat on the back or a comment of good sermon as we go out the door. That's just not the goal. It's not in the framework of his thinking. How can I get somebody to shake my hand and say, good sermon pastor? That's not how Paul writes sermons. It's not the way it works. Simply put, he's not a man pleaser. He knows that man pleasing is not acceptable behavior for a slave of Christ. He uses man-pleaser in two other references. Colossians 3.22 is one of those. The other one is Ephesians 6.6. 6. Both of them in the context of being a slave. And it's Colossians 3.22. Bond servants are slaves. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers. It's not how we live. How do we do it? We do it with sincerity of heart. What's the primary motive? Fearing the Lord. Ephesians 6 6. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Doing, see, doing the will of God from the heart. The the very heart motive is to be pleasing to him, not a man pleaser, not a people pleaser. Paul is very clear, 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 4 and 5. But just just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with this gospel. Look, you have to see the value Paul places on this. We have been given a gospel into our possession. And then the next line, so 
we speak. God gave me a gospel. I speak exactly what this gospel is. That's what he says in Thessalonians. So, we speak not to please men. That's not it. But to please God. Who tests our hearts. See, you can fake a lot of things. You could say you're doing this, or you're saying you're doing this. <laughs> Pray Psalm 139 every morning, and you get a lot of your theology corrected. He searches the heart. He knows when you sit down and when you lie down. He knows when you sit down and when you rise up. He discerns your thoughts from afar. If you, no matter where you go, his presence is there. He tests your hearts. And then Paul says, for we never came with words of flattery. We never did that. Look, when we came, we preached the gospel. That's what he's saying to the Galatians. And he goes, as you know, never with a pretext of greed. How, how do we know that? He says, God's my witness. God's my witness. He's got to give an account to God. This umbrella of working under the reality of giving an account to God should haunt every man that stands behind the pulpit. Anywhere. I pick on myself as well as the whole world. If you stand in the pulpit, you have to give an account to God for what you do with this book. You're countable. But it's not just me. You have to give an account for your life. What decisions you make and what you say in all of your context. Is it the fear of man? Snare. Or is it the fear of God? Now, in the closing of this letter... In Galatians, he states that the troublemakers are the ones who are people pleasers. If you look at the end, Galatians 6, 12 through 13, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted. These troublemakers are the ones trying to save their own skin. Paul says, I'm not saving my skin. I'm being persecuted on every account. And we can read about those in Acts and Corinthians and other places. <clears throat> so the questions that are asked here are intended to drive home the reality that Paul does not preach for men, but, to go, but does not preach for men, but to men. Luther explains it in this way, using Pauline words puts these words in Paul's mouth. Quote, It is because I condemn men's works, how that men are sinners, unrighteous, wicked, children of wrath, bond slaves of the devil, and that they are not made righteous by works or by circumcision, but by grace only and faith in Christ, that I procure for myself the deadly hatred of men. Paul's saying, my preaching has caused the world to hate me. I'm not vacillating between things in order to get people to like me. Look at my life. Any logical examination of Paul's life will find that his preaching did not win him public applause, but rather a healthy dose of persecution that eventually led to his execution. Whether sawn in half, as Hebrews says, or whether head chopped off or sawn off 
outside of Rome. Either way, it did not end with the approval of men. So in application, what about you? Whom do you live for? So it's not just for the preachers, but they are for you. Does the world love you? Now, I can understand that in some context, but you understand the meaning of this message. Does the world love you? Are you able to accommodate yourself to every group where every group likes you? So does the world love you? And I ask, why is that? Why does everybody love you? Are you, comprom- are you some kind of chameleon with your Christianity? Because I'm thinking that even in a right heart and a right spirit, that if we answer truthfully to our convictions, we have to rub somebody the wrong way. There ought to be at least somebody that's not necessarily your best friend because of the positions you hold. Be very careful of chameleon Christianity because it ends up being a false Christianity. Point number two, and much shorter, the fear of God is in in the first phrase, but the last two words there, for do, not, for do I now persuade men? I'm asking the second question, for do I now persuade God? Do I persuade God? Do I seek to gain his approval? The fear of God. Paul, the other apostles, and all those who preach the true gospel are endeavoring to please God and not men. As a result they stir up against themselves the malice of the devil and hell itself. That's what they procured from their preaching ministry. That was, that's why they're all martyred. That's why we have martyrs in church history, because they wouldn't throw away their faith. You know, last week, we're here on Sunday in the comfort of our church doing our thing, while all these pastors in Canada are breaking the law and preaching on sexual issues that's been outlawed in Canada. And they're like, we have to stand and hold to the truth. And so all these pastors preach on the same theme because the theory is you can't arrest us all. Unwilling to compromise. I'm sure it's upsetting the Canadian government to some degree. Paul is asking his hearers if he's trying to persuade God He's trying to win the favor of God. Here's the question. Do his hearers believe that God approves of his gospel? That's really the question at the end of the day for you and for me when it comes to gospel preaching. It's not, well, do you agree with Randall's gospel? No, 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 that's not the issue. Does God give agreement to the gospel that's being preached no matter who's preaching it? Because if God doesn't approve of the gospel, I don't care if it's John MacArthur or Jeff Noblet or Spurgeon himself, if God doesn't approve, we shouldn't approve. Could these Galatians examine the content of Paul's gospel and find that it was the same gospel Jesus preached? So the question that really matters, is God convinced that the gospel being preached is his gospel? The great priority of the preacher is to seek to please God. Now, don't misunderstand. In writing sermons and preaching sermons with a desire to please God, it's not as if that means that the preacher doesn't care about the people. You understand, right? So 
if the preacher really cares about the congregation and he really cares about their souls, then his primary concern is, does God approve? Because if God approves, that's what's best for you. That's the, that's the concern. The preacher's not asking if the message will be approved by his congregation, but whether or not it will be approved by God. I don't know if this interests you or not. I just know that this is an epidemic in the pulpit across the world. Many preachers live out every week of their life trying to figure out how to come up with a sermon that will gain your interest and that will engage you and make you interested where you'll come back or engage you that you might give more money. Preachers spend their whole life doing this. It's like, at what point do you stop and say, will King Jesus say amen to what I preach? And if he won't say amen, you're just wasting time. Preaching's a God-honoring business. It's not a man-pleasing enterprise. Now, the last part, <clears throat> facts of motive. This is the last part of the verse. A conditional contrast. If I still pleased men, I would not be a slave of Christ. Slave of Christ is the positive, man pleaser the negative. Now this next word is not in the text, but I'm going to insert it in this fashion that if I'm a man pleaser, I'm disqualified as a slave of Christ. I'm not qualified to be a slave anymore if I'm a man pleaser. And then I go back to 1 Corinthians 9 because I think that's what his critics are using. He's going to be this, he's going to be this to win people to Christ. But notice at the end of that chapter, 1 Corinthians 9, 27, Paul sums it up this way. He says, I discipline my body. I keep it under control. Why does he do this? Well, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I have, to, I have to guard myself that in my preaching, I don't disqualify myself by becoming a man-pleaser. This is what Paul is saying, that he would be disqualified as a slave. I think Paul knew these words of Jesus, and you'll know them. You've heard them many times over. Jesus said it this way. Now, I'm going to tell you the verse, but not just for the preacher. This is going to be for you tomorrow. All these truths are applicable to your life. Your decisions you're going to make, what you're going to do, what's your direction, what job you take, you don't take, everything you do is either under the umbrella of the fear of God or under the umbrella of the fear of man. And this is what Jesus says, and I think it's the same as what Paul is saying. No one, no one can serve two masters. Nobody can do it. Why not? Well, because you're going to end up hating the one and loving the other. Are you going to be devoted to the one and despise the other? But you cannot serve God and money or material or men or any other thing. God is not going to share his throne with anyone or anything. Either we're in it with God or we're out. That's the message. And Paul is saying that in his preaching. I must seek to preach in order to be a slave 
of Christ. Fearing I must give an account to him. So if he was a people pleaser, would he open this letter by saying, anybody that tempers with this gospel is to be cursed? Would he later in this letter be a people pleaser when he says, if you're tampering with this gospel, you ought to emasculate or castrate yourself. Nobody speaks like that who's trying to win friends. In the end, he's beheaded for his stance on the gospel. His life is not evidence of a people pleaser, but a testimony of a slave of Christ. And in conclusion, preaching is no light task that wins the approval of the world. And any man who seeks the approval of the world has zero business standing behind God's pulpit. A man that is infected with the fear of men will be forever trapped in a world of disappointment and failure. Men can never be pleased. No matter how hard you try, it'll never happen. There's only one that the preacher slash Christian should concern himself with, and that is God. Is God approved of my morning devotion? Is God approving of my scripture memory? Does God approve of the way I conduct myself at the store? Does God approve of the way I drive? Does God approve of the way I treat my coworker? Oh no, does God approve of the way I treat my spouse, my kids, my grandkids? Is God in approval? That's the question, not does my neighbor think I'm a good daddy? Does God think I'm a good daddy? That's what matters because at the end of the day, the guy next door, I don't have to stand before him, but I have to give an account to God how I conduct my family. God is pleased with those who valiantly go forth like Paul. They herald the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is always pleased when his son is made much to do of. And the spirit of God Always assist the man who will stand to make sure that Christ gets the glory he deserves. Not just in front of Walmart, not at the stockyards, or not at the abortion clinic, or not out here at some venue, but when it's done by the individual in a living room, in your kitchen, in your cubicle, when it's done in those places where you're a man or woman of integrity, and honesty, unwilling to compromise on your taxes, even though it costs you thousands of dollars. And you say, well, I can't compromise my Christianity because I've got to give an account to God. When everybody else around you is saying, it don't matter, the government don't care, they're $50 billion, trillion dollars in debt anyways. Yeah, but God knows, and I've got to give an account to him. This is practical for every one of us. Do you live in this un? forgiving world of men pleasing are in this blessed glorious joy of living under the fear of God for his glory although you lose your life you gain it all live as men and women who fear God above everything else let us pray 
Lord, we are a weak people. I'm a weak preacher. Lord, people pressure us, and we get caught up in these pressures, and we fold, and we succumb to these things. Lord, forgive us for our shortcomings. Forgive us for guarding our flesh so valiantly. Lord, help us to be like the Psalms. Let us lift up our eyes. As the servant looks up to his master, as the maidservant looks up to her handmaid, let us look up to you. May our eyes be upon you, that you would be the only thing in heaven or earth that we desire. And if we have your approval, it's enough to satisfy us for eternity. Help us, O oh Lord, that we would be a people that live for your pleasure. And in doing so, we will also be a fragrance of Christ to those who are being converted. Lord, help us in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.